Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Thursday, October 29th. I'm Lorraine Cáceres. These are today's headlines. At least 227,000 people here in the U.S. now dead from COVID-19, while across the Midwest, coronavirus positivity rates are soaring. Experts warning the worst is yet to come. As Election Day approaches and at least 79 million votes now cast, the Supreme Court weighing in on several critical mail-in ballot questions. And firearm sales skyrocketing as anxiety over the elections and civil unrest grips parts of the nation. This and much more today on You News, recorded live in our newsroom in Miami. We begin with yet another hurricane slamming into the Gulf Coast. Hurricane Zeta slamming into the south, making landfall in Louisiana with winds of more than 100 miles per hour. Rafael Rodriguez takes a look at the scene across several states. Hurricane Zeta tearing into the Louisiana coast. Oh, oh my God, the roof just blew off. The night sky illuminating from power facilities to power facilities. Nearly two million without electricity across four states. Authorities confirming one person tragically died after being electrocuted. Wind gusts reaching 91 miles per hour as Zeta made landfall. Parts of Louisiana completely underwater. This large boat stranded in the middle of this highway and a barge breaking loose. In Biloxi, Mississippi, two reported deaths. Cars bobbing in this garage from the storm surge. The Hard Rock Casino suffering major damage from the storm. You can see parts of the building completely gutted. Zeta ripping into the south, leaving a trail of destruction. You can see roof after roof torn off. City officials hunkering down as one parish mayor even announcing a curfew. The New Orleans Police Department urging the public to shelter in place just before landfall. This is not a drill. We do expect directly impacting the city of New Orleans. Uh, there is confidence all around that aspect. Rafael Rodriguez, U News. And we're just five days away from Election Day, and around 79 million people have voted so far by mail or in person, a new record being set every day. The battle for votes heating up now in the Sunshine State, where both the Trump and Biden campaigns will be converging today, trying to appeal to Latinos, a, critish, a crucial voting bloc. Andrea Linares has more. Locked in a tight race in Florida, today Joe Biden and President Trump set to crisscross the critical state. I'm not counting on the polls. That's why I'm heading back down to Florida. We're winning big in Florida. Trump and Biden set to hold dueling rallies in Tampa just hours apart as they try to court the state's senior and Latino voters. A new Univision election poll found that Biden has a slight advantage in Pennsylvania and Arizona. However, the race is too close to call in Florida, where Biden leads by only three points, 49 to 46 percent. The campaigns are using different strategies in Tampa. The Biden campaign is holding a drive-in rally to ensure proper social distancing amid the pandemic. Meanwhile, President Trump will hold another large rally. Overnight in Arizona, the president touting his record among Hispanics. Over the last four years, I've been delivering for Hispanic Americans like never before. 
and Hispanic American unemployment reached an all-time low prior to the pandemic. And unveiling the American Dream Plan, which he says will bring more than 2 million new jobs to Hispanic communities. Among its goals, instill policies to add 500,000 Hispanic-owned businesses, empower every family in America with school choice, and streamline the process to increase the number of Hispanic-serving institutions. Trump also continuing to promise a coronavirus vaccine. The safe vaccine is coming very quickly. You're going to have it momentarily. But experts warn a vaccine likely won't be authorized until January or later. And in a newly released recording from April, Trump's son-in-law and senior advisor Jared Kushner bragging to journalist Bob Woodward that Trump was getting the country back from the doctors, putting political strategy ahead of public health. What he's been saying is, don't fall into the same trap that we fell into the first time. The states have to own the testing. But the president also is very smart politically with the way he did that fight with the governors to basically say, no, 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 I own the opening. Because, again, the opening is going to be very popular. Biden offering a different approach, highlighting how he would handle the pandemic after meeting with health experts in his home state of Delaware. I'm not running in the false promise of being able to end this pandemic by flipping a switch. But what I can promise you is this. We will start on day one, doing the right things. And polls are also showing a tight race between President Trump and Joe Biden, and that's where vice presidential candidate Kamala Harris will be campaigning tomorrow in Fort Worth and McAllen. However, at this point, there are no plans for President Trump or VP Mike Pence to visit Texas. Meanwhile, a Supreme Court ruling Wednesday provided twin victories for Democrats and those who want every vote counted this election season. Edwin Pitti is in Washington, D.C. with the details. Edwin? Hi, Lorraine. Justices have denied a Republican request for an expedited review. With a 5-3 to three vote, the Supreme Court will allow absentee ballots in North Carolina and Pennsylvania to be received and counted days after the election. The decision allows Pennsylvania to count ballots cast by election day and received within three days. In North Carolina, they will be able to extend the period from three to nine days to count mail-in ballots. Under the Supreme Court's order, mail ballots postmarked on or before election day must be received by 5 p.m. on November 12 in order to be counted. In both cases, the Republican Party and GOP legislators had opposed the extensions, and President Trump has railed on the campaign trail about mail-in vote. It is important to note that New Justice Amy Coney Barrett did not participate in either case. Her decision did not signal a blanket of recusal in election cases involving Trump. Instead, she indicated that the cases needed prompt decisions and that having started the job on Tuesday, she did not have time to fully review the legal arguments. Initially, the Trump campaign had asked the court that ballots should only be counted if they were received up to three days after election date. But now, in the case of Pennsylvania, election officials can still count ballots even if there is no legible postmark. Conservative justices Samuel Alito, Clarence Thomas, and Neil Gorsuch objected the Republican Party's request, but only because it was too close to election for the Supreme Court to step in, which means that they could take up the case again in the near future. Live in Washington, D.C., Lorraine, back to you. 
Thank you, Edwin, for that report. And joining me now is Robert Brandon. He's the CEO and executive director of the Fair Election Center, an organization protecting voters' rights. Thanks for being here, Robert. Let's start with the decision in Pennsylvania. Explain to us what the Supreme Court said in that case exactly. Well, basically, they deferred to the state Supreme Court, who ruled that under the Pennsylvania Constitution, uh, they felt that uh, in the extraordinary circumstances of this pandemic, it was reasonable to have three days to count ballots um, as long as they were postmarked on Election Day, uh, knowing what we know now about the crush of ballots potentially being delayed in the mail. Robert, in North Carolina, the Supreme Court is allowing ballots to be counted until November 12th, as long as ballots are postmarked. Talk to us about that decision and why is the long extension necessary? Well, again, I think uh, we have a tradition in this country of trying to count ballots that are cast. Um, and given the extraordinary circumstances the country faces with the pandemic and the huge number of mail ballots that are going to be cast, uh, uh, many states have recognized, in fact, North Carolina did, already agreeing to extend the count to three days after uh, the, the uh, election day, as long as the ballots are postmarked on election day. And uh, the elections board in North Carolina that has made adjustments in the past to deal with cir uh, extraordinary circumstances determined that they needed more time and they agreed in a separate lawsuit uh, that it was reasonable to count ballots up until November 12th. And the Supreme Court let that stand um, I think giving some deference to the state board in its decision, uh, knowing best how to deal with uh, ballots during election. Now, in a very different case, the Supreme Court also ruled this week in Wisconsin, but in this case, they ruled against extending the deadline. Why are we seeing this patchwork of cases? And could there be more in the next week or so? Uh, I mean, one is a patchwork of cases because we have a patchwork of election laws. The, each state uh, conducts the elections based on the laws that they pass. Um, we were in one of the cases in Wisconsin. Uh, we got an initial ruling that would have allowed people that didn't receive their ballots, and there were tens of thousands of those people in the primary in April, um, to be able to call up and get a, bail, a ballot emailed to them uh, or download one. Um, that the, that decision, as well as the extended count decision, was delayed by the federal courts there, and the Supreme Court agreed with the stay in that case as well. Um, there, there was um, a federal decision being made, and it wasn't based on state action uh, in the first instance. So I think that might have been part of the reason for the difference in the two in the three cases. Also, Robert, the coronavirus crisis is in no doubt dominating all aspects of voting from millions of people voting by mail to a reduction of voting sites. How do you think this year and this race will shape elections to come in the future? And do you see any possibility that if litigation does occur, the Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court could make a standardized counting rule for the entire country for future elections? Well, Lorraine, that's a great question. Um, we, I think we will see more litigation, um, but basically at this point, um, we have, as you said, tens of millions of people have already voted. Um, many more will. 
And I think we're gonna see mostly the, the accommodation to voters that states have made, that election officials have made to be upheld generally by and large. Um, it, it is a little unclear with the Supreme Court and particularly with the new makeup it's gonna have um, exactly where they're gonna land on that. But one would hope that uh, they just like conservatives generally don't believe in interfering with state decisions, won't overreach in this case and try to uh, really affect the ability of voters to cast a ballot that counts. And I don't think we may see some general rules down the road. I think the biggest issue is gonna be uh, voters are gonna take a look at what happened this year. They're gonna look at the continuing effort to try to make it harder to vote rather than easier to vote. And I think we'll see a lot of changes going forward at state legislatures, um, governors, election officials, um, try to figure out how to make voting more accessible, not less accessible. This is definitely going to be very interesting elections next week because in the coming years we might see a lot of things change because of exactly what's happening now. Thank you so much, Robert Brandon of the Fair Election Center for your insight and your time. My pleasure. Thank you. And according to Republican officials, hackers stole $2.3 million from the Wisconsin Republican Party's account that uh, was being used to help reelect President Donald Trump in that key battleground state. The party noticed the, suspicion, the suspicious activity on October 22nd and contacted the FBI on Friday. Republican Party Chairman Andrew Hitt said the FBI is now investigating. And the seven-day average of COVID-19 cases rising again. As experts predict, we could see the daily average of cases surpass 100,000 very soon. Right now, more than 40 states are reporting a surge. The seven-day average of coronavirus cases in the U.S. rising again this week, now standing at 74,000. The former commissioner of the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, Dr. Scott Gottlieb, saying he believes the U.S. is posed to reach 100,000 cases a day in the coming days. We'll cross 100,000 infections at some points in the next couple of weeks, probably. We might do it this week if all states report on time. With cases up 39 percent in the past two weeks, Dr. Anthony Fauci warning that if guidelines aren't followed, the next few months will be worse. We have 225,000 deaths. The modeling tells us we're going to get 100 or more thousand as we get into the winter. That is just something that's unacceptable. 41 states are reporting at least 10% more cases now compared to the week before, and only one state is trending down. The Northeast surging again. In New Jersey, the governor says he's trying to avoid a wider shutdown of businesses and schools, but it might be inevitable. It's serious. There's no question about it. Uh, and it, it's, it's really migrated from hot spots in particular communities or in higher education now it's pretty much up and down the state. In Utah, meanwhile, cases are exploding. As of Wednesday, the positivity rate standing at 18% and ICUs operating at 70% capacity. When I fail, it's really, really hard, you know, and I'm sure the doctors and everyone in the health community can relate to that, that it's, it's just, it doesn't get easy. Caregivers stretched thin and overwhelmed. 
And Dr. Fauci is saying he thinks that because of a vaccine won't be readily available until well into 2021, we won't be back to normalcy into 2022. And the federal government says it is planning to pay for any future coronavirus vaccine for all Americans. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services made the announcement on Wednesday. The agency says it will pay for any vaccine authorized or approved by the Food and Drug Administration, while the federal government is paying for the vaccine. Insurers, including Medicare and Medicaid and private plans, must cover the cost of administering it. It is a costly undertaking. The agency says if the 62 million people in the Medicare program got vaccinated, it would cost around $2.6 billion. And Latinos in Santa Clara County, California, are demanding changes in the public health response to the coronavirus pandemic. Latinos make up 39% of California's population, but have registered 61% of coronavirus cases. Community members are submitting a list of demands to city and county leaders that they say could help lessen the impact, such as more free and walk-up testing. They are also demanding more public health messaging in Spanish on billboards and Spanish language media. More of you news after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. They don't know when they're going to be able to go back to work. Victims also from Mexico and this mass shooting. Officials in and out of the residence. We're going to continue fighting. You News covers the news of your world and makes it easy to understand. Your News, your world, You News on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. And the mother of Breonna Taylor isn't happy with the way the Kentucky Attorney General handled her daughter's case. So she's asking the Kentucky Prosecutor's Advisory Council to appoint an independent prosecutor to handle a new inquiry. Tamika Palmer says her daughter deserves a prosecution team who can evaluate the case from a, quote, unbiased lens. Palmer's attorney says information provided by grand jurors in the case confirms that the Attorney General's presentation of the case was, quote, flawed and not in compliance with Kentucky law. One former Louisville Metro Police Department detective, Brett Hackinson, was indicted on three counts of first-degree wanton endangerment in connection with his part in what happened the night Taylor was killed, but no one was charged in connection with her death. Elsewhere around the country, police in Philadelphia were shocked to find a van packed with explosives late Sunday night. The bomb squad is investigating after officers found propane tanks, torches and what looked like dynamite sticks inside the van. The discovery comes after unrest in the city over an officer involved shooting. Walter Wallace Jr. was shot Monday afternoon. Police were responded to reports of a man with a knife. Wallace's mother was nearby as police fatally shot her son. A witness says she tried to tell officers her son had mental health issues. And across the country, firearms sale continue to increase and many Latinos are purchasing a gun for the first time. Eileen Cardet tells us why some say this is taking place. Empty shelves can be seen these days in stores that sell firearms in several states. Everything is full as always, but now there is nothing. 
This year's sales have skyrocketed like never before, like in this store in Tempe, Arizona. They want guns like 9mm pistols. It's the best and they all want them. A report by the National Shooting Sports Foundation revealed that in 2020, firearm sales increased 95% nationally compared to 2019. You have the, the, uh, the protests that are going. Jerry McGowan, a firearms expert from Phoenix, says that the pandemic, the protests, the violence of so-called Antifa groups and the fear that Joe Biden will win and change the laws to acquire weapons has many making desperate purchases. Interestingly, in several so-called swing states, including Michigan, Arizona, North Carolina, Pennsylvania and Florida, gun sales increased by up to 80 percent compared to the rest of the country and Latinos are among the groups buying firearms for the first time. I think 40% are buying for the first time this year. Enrique Cárdenas from Phoenix has seven guns for security reasons. Three of them were bought in recent months. He says he was motivated in part by the country's political and social problems. It's scary, the marches and the problems that we are seeing on the news, the pandemic. Online weapons purchases have also increased. That's where Enrique goes the most for his guns. Because it's easier, two, three clicks, and you pay for it. According to reports, at least five million people have purchased firearms for the first time this year. Aileen Cardet, Yunus. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review. Join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.